on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We recap OU's blowout loss to TCU. We also recap some of the other big games in week five of college football and give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, October 3rd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of October, please visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now, recording this Sunday afternoon, please leave us a five-star review. And a nice comment, just a reminder, we do not play or coach, so please leave nice comments. And if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, you can email the Oklahoma Breakdown at gmail.com. How are we doing, Ted? I'm doing surprisingly well. Yesterday, I was doing shockingly bad. You, you and I rode home together from Fort Worth. And there was not a lot of, there wasn't, there was not a lot said between the two of us. It wasn't a heavy dialogue day, was it? Yeah, it, it was. It, I don't even know where to start, but I, I do, I do think it's important to start with this and we're going to do what we always do. We're going to be critical and fair, right? That's, that's how we handle this thing on this podcast, but we're going to tell it like it's like it is. But before we do that, I do think it's always important to keep things in perspective. And first and foremost, the health and safety of the players is the most important thing. And there were some really scary situations in that football game yesterday. And I hated it. I did not handle it well on the sideline. I mean, I was standing on the field with Damon Harmon. I'm just sitting there crying because it's that is the worst part about football, and it never gets less scary. And I, I am just I'm very thankful that Dylan Gabriel and Damon Harmon are okay. Very, very thankful that those young men are all right. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about that. And 
you know, one of the interesting things is, uh, and here's the difference between, like, like this is the thin line that that's happening out there on the football field. And I don't know if people know this or not, but deaths in football are not rare. It happens a lot. And it's mainly at the high school level. But it happens a lot. The difference, and this is why I, I think it's so critical that people understand this. The difference is typically technique and how people play. And even whenever you play with proper technique, it is, it is still an incredibly dangerous sport. And all it takes is one hit at a weird angle to potentially into life, potentially into career, uh, often into game or a season. So you got to remember, like it's a, it's a sport and it's a, it's a, it's entertainment for the masses and it's fun. And, you know, you get behind your team, but I think we, we forget what it's like, how close those guys are on every single play basis. Like there's, there's collisions almost on every single play that it doesn't take much for a head or something to be out of position to where something horrible can happen. So I, it, it, you're right. It, It is important always to keep a lot of that in perspective. And these guys are out there on the edge. And a lot of times it doesn't feel like it. We can go through a whole season and not have anything happen. It's been a long time covering OU games since we've had a situation like that, either for, you know, us or a, a player on an opposing team out there on the field. But it it doesn't take much for it to happen. Yeah. So I, I know that, you know, that was scary for a lot of people. I can't imagine you know, Dylan Gabriel's family, Damon Harmon's family, what that experience was like, but that sucked. And, and so did the rest of the game. And and this is, you know, let's, let's dive into the game. The most disappointing part of it for me is that they play the way that they played against Kansas state, right? And kind of everyone questioning their toughness, their attention to detail. And then they come out and play this way against TCU. That's just, that's really, really disappointing for me. And and let's be real, right? When Brent Vittables was hired, you know, we were the ones among others, right? That were saying this team's going to be tougher. They're going to be more physical. They're going to be more disciplined. They're going to be more accountable. All of those things, right? And and I still think that that's going to happen over time. But with what we've seen these last two weeks, this is not a tough tough physical football team. This is not a disciplined football team. And it, it looks like they lack mental toughness with the way that they played against TCU on both sides of the ball. And that's just, that's really, really disappointing for me to have to say. I, I, I don't like having to say that, but 
just watching last week, especially watching this week and, and watching it again, it's just what I see, man. And it's it's unfortunate because that is not what I thought this program was going to be. It's certainly not what I think it's going to be in the future, but I did I did not expect them to play that way this season. And man, that was uh, I was really disappointing to watch. Yeah, it was. It was frustrating. You know, there was there was a a lot of stuff in the game that was just it's small details. You know, here's the here's the interesting thing. I I don't question the toughness of this team. I and I'm 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 speaking mainly defense here. I think we have a tough group. I think we have a physical group. But here's the unfortunate reality. And I kind of liken it to golf, at least for me. Golf is a sport where the details matter, repetition matters, and just wanting to go play better does nothing for you other than make you more upset, right? You have to practice and drill the details. You have to putt. You have to work on your short game, right? You have to spend a lot of time at the practice range, right? And a lot of that stuff isn't fun. What's fun is going out, putting some music on, having some ice cold beverages, and playing golf and playing well. That's fun. But you've got to put the work in. And it's the same thing here. You played poorly a week ago against Kansas State. Wanting to play better and wanting to play physical and wanting to play tough does nothing for you. You have to have the technique. You have to have the discipline. You have to have responsibility sound football. You can't just show up and want to play tough physical football. It does you no good. You have to be in the right place. If I'm out of position, I can't be physical because the angles aren't right. I'm late. I'm just like for a, for a linebacker, for instance, if I'm trying to play my gap, you know, the gap doesn't just sit there and wait on you. As a running play happens, the gap moves. And if I'm out of position and I'm not reading my keys, as that gap's moving and I'm late, I have to be really flat to get there instead of piling downhill physical. So that's the things that are that are keeping us from playing tough and physical and hard-nosed ball is, you know, the details pre-snap, knowing where we're supposed to be. So I, I do not question the effort. I do not question the the want to the like this group I feel like it's a good group of guys that want to play good football and are trying their best to play good football they're just they're just lacking in the details up to this point and we'll get into obviously some of the individual things that happen out there where, where that takes place but you know I, I think that's that's kind of the problem you can't just show up and want it more right there has to be a lot more that comes with wanting it more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I hear you, but in this game in particular, like the, the mo- one of the most frustrating parts for me is all, all of the excuses that can be made, right? New head coach, new coordinators, new strength coach, like all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's the exact same stuff for TCU. Sonny Dykes, new head coach, Garrett Riley, new OC, Joe Gillespie, new DC, several different guys. They had guys leave. They brought different guys in and they whooped OU's ass. So that's where I'm with like, you can only use the, oh, it's a new defense. You know, they're, they're, they're processing a lot for so long. They just played a team that went through the exact same thing during the off season. And owned them, pumped them on national television. So that's where I'm, I'm sitting here going, I mean, how long, how long can you make those excuses? I, I, I feel like we're past that, man. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, I don't, there's, there's no doubt about that. There's, and I, I don't, the problem is, is I can't tell you where the disconnect is. I can't, I can't say I, hmm, how do I put this? I, I can't be there every day at practice. I, I can't be with the players when they're at the facility and with, when they're at home. I, I just, I don't know where the disconnect is. All I know is, is all I could do is grade it from the final. Like I, I know the final, um, you know, product final product is not where it needs to be. And I like from, from the beginning to how it gets there. I don't know, but it's all it's, it's on film for the entire world to see. Okay. Let's, let's start with the defense last week was as frustrated as I've probably ever seen you during a broadcast this week. I was, I was concerned for your emotional well-being. So, first of all, are you all right? And then what did you see from the defense? Well, I'm okay. You know what? I actually, I don't know if it was the Kansas State game that was maybe the icebreaker or whatever, but I watched this film. I watched every single snap, and I came away not nearly as dejected and worried as I did with the Kansas State game and that shocked me considering the final numbers it was you know and I think that there I think there's if you if you if you look hard enough there's some good things out there (laughs) you just got to really dig through the muck so I I appreciate your optimism but TCU could have scored 70. Yeah. Could have had probably 800 yards of offense if they wanted to. Well, it depends how you look at it. You know, our biggest problem, like if you, if you just want to break, like, like 
let's just look at this thing. It was big pass interference calls, and it was uh, explosive plays, okay? And the explosive plays, you know, let's, let's start with the, the first one. Third and eight, 73-yard touchdown on a, on a busted cover three. And, you know, I, I don't know if it was the alignment where the bust arrived. I don't know if it was not getting the proper call. I don't know if it was just a brain fart post-snap, getting your eyes in the wrong place. But we've got a deep third player that is at the line of scrimmage. Okay, so I can look at that and I can say, you know, it's a mental mistake. And mental mistakes in these games cost you one guy out of position cost you a 73 yard touchdown that's the nature of playing defense everyone's got to be on the same page what i mean stutzman's right underneath number one right where he's supposed to be what was dj graham doing i don't know i I, i've never played defensive back but i know when you're the deep third player you don't bite the cheese right there when it's third and eight no and i don't think he's i think he's in the wrong call and i don't know how they do it it, it could have been, it could have been like he is the original formation. They're in a different coverage, and as the motion goes away, they're, he's now they're now in cover three. Like, and I don't know like how all of that is built in. It's hard to it's hard to gain that just from uh, watching that play. But fact remains, one guy is out of position, and it costs you a seventy three yard touchdown. And that's how it is. Everything else on the play is pretty good. Stutzman is in a good spot. Middle field safety is in a good spot. And you just have one guy out of position, and it's too late. Uh, on that play, I loved the effort by 37, um, which I thought uh, – I think he had a big bust late that cost him on a big play. Um, but having to come in and play as much as he did, I, I liked the way that he played. There were some good things out there. He gained some good experience. Um, back-to-back plays. So we start the game off with a turnover after three plays. We get a PI, and then, you know, they end up scoring a touchdown on that that first drive off of good field position. Okay, probably going to happen. Then we give up the 73-yard touchdown on the bust, right, by by the corner. The very next play defensively is a 67-yard touchdown by Max Duggan. And it's one guy out of position. One guy out of position. Back-to-back plays. You have a play that's defended well by 10, and one person is out of position. It costs you a touchdown. And that's the nature of defense. So, I, and that happens, you know, a bunch of times on these big plays that were created. I don't know. We had, what, five? six big plays that accounted for a massive chunk of the yardage by TCU. So, you know, I, I just, to sum everything up, instead of going like play by play and, and just, I don't think it's constructive to call a bunch of individual guys out. I think there's some things that are really critical with this defense that come with experience and like we're not getting there fast enough. And it is a it is a basic understanding of how to play the football game, right? We have to understand leverage 
in open field situations as tacklers. And that carries over to almost everything. Uh, it carries over to plays in the running game in the box. It carries it over to open field tackling. It carries over to how I play the passing game and where I where I fit in the in the in the network of the zone coverage. Leverage and help. We have to have a better understanding of that. We have to have an understanding, a basic understanding of like what are the important principles of zone coverage? How do you play? How do you how do you work through route progressions? You have to understand how offenses operate, the why and the how of of where they build their route progressions. Like there's a reason there's a guy running a six yard hookup in front of you on third and twelve. Is it to complete the the six yard hookup? No, it's to get you to drive on it and complete the dig in behind you. Like these are basic principles that we don't have a good enough understanding of right now. And I think it's because, you know, learning a new defense and a new scheme, a bunch of guys are so worried about themselves and like, where do I fit? Like, am I the hook dropper? Am I the flat dropper? And with all of that going on, we lose kind of the basic principles of, of what we're doing out there, like the grand scheme of things. We don't have very good vision right now as, as an entire defense. And I can, I can tie that into the zone coverage with the backers and safeties. I can tie that into the defensive ends who continue to run up the field. You do not run up the field. You've got to have some vision and understanding of what's happening. If the tackle that you're lined up on is hard away from you. You do not run up the field. You keep your pads square and you stay at the level of the line of scrimmage. Like we don't understand that basic concept. I don't know how Um, we don't understand like the basic premise of the rule of pass interference. Okay. We have to have an understanding of how that rule works. If you are in great position, and you do not turn to find the football, you will be flagged. That's how it is. It doesn't matter that you timed it good. It doesn't matter like, that you felt like there was, there was contact both ways. The receiver's looking for the football. You are not. You're going to get flagged. Right? We don't understand that. Um, we don't understand right now that a screen is a run. What do I mean by a screen is a run? In the running game, if you are the flat player, flat, flat player, you are an, uh, a hammer player is what we call it. Hammer is whenever you keep your outside arm free. You keep everything inside of you. If you are a hook player, that means you are a spill player. What does that mean? That means you keep your inside arm free and spill the ball to the outside. A screen is a run. So as the screen unfolds in a game, if I'm the flat player, I have to fight outside. It doesn't matter where the ball is. I have to find the blockers and fight outside. If I'm the hook player, I have to fit inside the outside blocker because I'm a spill player, right? We don't understand that. And I could keep going on. We don't communicate well. Communication, there's always got to be communication between the safeties of who is deep, 
who is in the fit, who's low, right? Communication with the corner. We got that motion. You're the deep third now, right? Like DJ, like DJ Graham or whatever happens out there. There's got to be communication. But we're too locked in on our job right now because we don't have a good enough understanding that we're like this instead of like this. We don't anticipate. Right? There's every, every defense has stresses, right? And there's stresses for every player within the defense, right? And whenever you line up before the ball snap, you have to have your antennas up to what are the stresses for me and my responsibility in this defense. Is it a motion to where it creates a new responsibility for me? Is it a tough blocking scheme to where um, I have to fit something a little bit differently than I typically do? There's stresses in everything. We have no anticipation for any of the stresses. You know, and it's to me, it's 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 more about that, like the big understanding than it is really because everything ties into that. Than it is going in and and like dissecting each individual play because these are these are things that have carried over over the last, you know, really not just the last every game so far this year that we haven't made much progress in. And that is, that's frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when you think about when you're in a new defense or a new system, no matter offense, defense, whatever, the hope would be the more you play, the more experience you get out on a game field playing in that system, the better you get, right? The more comfortable you get. And the, the alarming part for me is it feels like the defense is getting worse. That the busts, the misfits, the thinking like that it's piling up instead of like it's increasing instead of decreasing. That's alarming. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Like, this is the tough part of all of those things that I just went through. Like, you have to have that general understanding. And like, there's a checklist you go through on every play. What's my gap? What do I have in the passing game? Uh, who has the quarterback on the zone read stuff? Am I involved in that? All right. There's, there's, there's big checklist of what you have to go through. And, and, you know, the difficult thing is offensively, it is not a fixed problem. It's not a fixed equation that, you know, the answer to, like as you line up the equation is changing there's motions there's shifts right there's guys coming across the ball after the snap changing gaps and changing um the numbers for zone coverage and it, you you just there's no way around you just have to learn it you do and if you don't you will continue to be exposed and that's why it's looked worse and worse is because as teams prepare for you, they know, they can see that right now you are not a assignment sound football team. So they are going to continue to change the picture on you and wait for the big mistake to happen. And that's where the 73 yard easy touchdowns come from. Yep. Touchdowns of 73, 67, 62, and a nice one of 69. Nice. Yep. That is extremely disappointing. Yep. I mean, and, who is like, it? 
Miami that we were clowning for that just what a week ago, middle Tennessee state. And now the Oklahoma Sooners are doing it. Wow. Jeez. You know, I, part of me is, part of me is, is like really frustrated, but part of me is, is like, I don't know. I, these are, these are things that can be fixed and I I have to trust that the coaching staff that's up there is doing the right things to fix these, these problems. These are not like, we don't get beat. Like there's not a lot of getting beat like one-on-one out there. That is not an us problem, right? They're, the genesis of almost every play is not about not being big enough, strong enough, fast enough. It's about not being in the proper spot. And because you're not in the proper spot, you end up playing with poor technique and out of position. And as things break down within a football game, you start to trust your teammates less and start trying to do something that is not your job that just creates a bigger mess as you know, as, as things break down and the team keeps hitting big plays, it's like, I've got to do something more whenever, no, you don't, you just have to do your job. That's it. Yeah. I I do think it's important to give TCU the credit they deserve, right? That was, I mean, that was a beat down, man. And just, just watching it, like, when I, when I watch our defense, I watch the line of scrimmage closer than anything else, right? And that was an offensive line that I did not think was all that good coming into the game. And the amount of movement that they got in the running game, especially on the edges, like just washing everything down, whether it was defensive ends, taking on double teams from tackles and tight ends, or just backside tackle, or it was linebackers, you know, blitzing in the A gap or B gap and guys just ejecting them two gaps over. Like they bullied them, man. And yeah. so those guys deserve credit. That was, that was impressive. And what they give up one sack. And that was a group that gave up five sacks and it could have been eight or nine against SMU. Well, you never really had them in predictable passing situation i was about to say is like there was never really any drop back pass yeah there wasn't they could have thrown the quicks all game long yep i mean just those quick screens out on the edge of the defense i mean i i don't know what they averaged on those plays i bet it was like seven or eight yards though well it was a 51 play first half for the defense Yikes. 79 total plays, 51 of them were in the first half. And there were opportunities in that game. That game is um it's 34-17 for an extended period and we have a couple of opportunities defensively to really create something and we we give up big chunks. But we put ourselves in such a hole right out of the gate with 
the two back-to-back plays, the 73-yard bust and the 67-yard touchdown by Duggan, I, that made it, what, 20 to 20 to 7? And, you know, we just couldn't stop the bleeding after that point. We had opportunities and just, you know, never played complimentary football. Yeah. I, and I'm going to – this was – this was something that stood out to me because, like, obviously the busts are frustrating. Uh, the PIs were that are not turning and finding the football. Those are frustrating. But one thing, just being on the field, TCU was the better-looking team. That surprised me a little bit. Like, And I know they've got some giants at the skill positions, but just the way that Duggan was built, the way that Kendra Miller, the way that their O-line looked, they they looked like the more physical and more developed football team, which which I thought was really interesting. Like just when I was out there for warm-ups, I was like, damn, okay, we'll see how okay. And I they pushed them around, man. I I don't know. It was something that being down there and seeing those guys for TCU where it stood out to me, I was like, okay. They've got – they just looked like they were bigger and stronger than OU. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think you and I see the – I think we see the – some of the run game stuff differently. Like, with some of the wash, like, a lot of times in some, in some of those plays, you want that wash, right, because it shortens the corner for the backers. Like, if you can – if you're a DN and you can keep your head in the gap and, and get the wash down, the backers can now come straight downhill on some of when you, when they're pulling guys around, that's not always necessarily a bad thing, but, but the backers t- didn't come downhill. That's what I'm saying. It, it turns into a bad thing. Whenever our guys don't, don't know how to fit it properly. Right? There was, so, cause there was all that wash and then there was so much space. Right. I mean, just an incredible amount of space. And with the guys talented as Miller, DeMarcado, or even the Bailey, like it's just, a re- it's really hard to make tackles in that much space. Right. Well, you know, I, for the backers and it's hard because a lot of the plays are different. Like sometimes it's vision with the overhang player that is supposed to be come and be the leverage on the outside. And they're just a day late. so we got backers that are fitting it proper on the inside, but the gap continues to expand because our overhang player is late. He's backpedaling instead of coming downhill in the run. And it just, it creates time and time is space. But you know, a lot of those things like you as, as a linebacker wash a lot of times is good because it, especially when you have some two gap players up front, because it takes all cutbacks away. So as it washes, you can you can flow over the top and fit the run on the front side, but it, you know, we just. You know who did that really well? Texas TCU. Christian uni- uh, University, <laughs> dude, Jaboy Hodge, and I know the one of the most unnecessary hits I've ever seen in a football game. That was awful, and you know, I ended up having people tell me that you know he was crying on the sideline and stuff, and so. It was it was about as bad as I've seen in person. I mean, it just was. Um, yeah. You can only ask him if you know it was intentional or not. Only he knows that. And sometimes those are bang bang plays, and I get it. But 
It it looked really bad. Really, really yeah. bad. But the one thing, that guy was playing a hell of a football game before he, he got was. ejected. He was. He was flying over the top, just like you're saying, and was coming down and smacking people. And do, before we move on to the offense, do you have anything else about the defense? Um, I'm proud of you for being somewhat positive. I was concerned. I, I think these things are all fixable. And I, I, it, a lot of it just, you know, I, they got to get it straight. There's no doubt because you can tell the difference between like good defense and bad defense. There's a very thin line. There's a very thin line and it can get ugly on you really quickly. I, I just, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to comment on whether or not I think it's going to happen or if this is going to be a continuation throughout the rest of the season because I don't know the process up at the facility and I don't know the, each guy's individual process. I, to me, I know we've got one of the best defensive coordinators uh, over the last 25 years of college football. So I trust that I, I know that they see these things and I trust that, that that process is there for these guys to get better at that. But I don't know. I can't say yes, it's going to happen or no, it's not because I just don't know. This, I, I think this is a fair question. And I've, you and I, we have, we've both dealt with Ted roof a lot. Fantastic guy. At what point does BV just completely take over the defense? Or is this one of those things where, yeah, and he's he's been hands on. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, with the way it's looked the last two weeks, I mean, he's got to just be. And I know he's in the middle of the defensive huddle every time the offense is on the field. Like he's trying to solve the problems and communicate everything to those guys. But I, it's just got to be causing him physical and emotional pain to watch a group that he's in charge of play defense at that level. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You know, I am a, I am a believer that defensively the call absolutely does not matter. I believe that you should be able to play the same exact call 79 times within a, because it is, it is all built in to play everything. You have the rules in a defense to play any play to any formation with any personnel grouping with the same exact call. You'll never hear me say the call is bad. It's on the players to play the responsibility within the call. So I, I don't, I don't, I can't say like, is the cover three a bad call or is it just bad that one of the guys didn't play it? You know, I, that's where I am with it. So I don't, I don't question any of the calls. Now, the the real thing is about who is who is who's coaching the call throughout the week, and are are we coaching it properly to where guys know how to do it and understand it? I mean, every guy understands things a little bit differently, and there, you know, some guys can do it on the chalkboard. Some guys need to see it on film. Some guys need to go through and do what we call like the trash can drill where you have 
you know, the offensive line set up and then you move the skill position guys behind it and you just kind of walk through the fits and, and where you are and all of those things. Everyone learns a little bit different. And are we doing the right things to make sure that our group understands what we're doing? And that's, that's what we, I mean, as of right now, it's apparent that that's not happening. And I don't know where that breakdown is. Yeah. Well, you gotta, gotta get it fixed because Texas, it's a good offense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, we'll dive into that more. <laughs> Texas is a good offense. Texas Tech is a good offense. Kansas is a good offense. Uh, you're going to see, you're going to see pretty much on par or better than what you you've seen from Kansas State and TCU. Yeah. So for the rest of the season w- without be- any exceptions, better get it fixed. Yep. Better figure it out. Oh, one thing we didn't really mention Billy Bowman going out, certainly not helpful for the defense. He's been, he's been a big bright spot for them and to not have him out there, but you, you know, that's football, right? Guys go down. Other guys got to come in and play well. So it was, uh, it was unfortunate. It was not helpful. In winning that football game. Correct. It was helpful in winning the next football game. Why? Because a bunch of guys ended up getting out there. I thought, all things considered, um, Justin Harrington played a pretty good football game. I love his attitude. I love his effort. I love the way he plays. He's physical. He's he's positive out there. He's he brings energy to the defense. He needs to work on his angles a little bit more and he needs to, you know, he needs to get there a little bit mentally and start communicating a little bit more, but I I thought I thought Justin Harrington did some really good things out there in place of Bowman. Yeah. Ready to talk some OU offense? Let's do it. Okay. I did love the the fact that they took the ball Won the toss, took the ball. Love the aggressiveness. Big fan of that. But you can't have arguably your best player fumble on the third play of the game and give TCU the ball at their at the 39-yard line. I mean, that is that's a disastrous start. Right? That is a disastrous start offensively. And let's just go. I think the easiest way to do it's probably just go through the guys, you know, position by position, like we have in the past. Dylan Gabriel, I mean, clearly terrible. The hit that he took, glad he's okay. Um, That was extremely reckless. But, and I'm glad, I'm glad he's all right. And that's the important part. And and we'll see, we'll see if he's ready. If he gets cleared for the Texas game. Concussions are weird, man. I mean, they can linger. Every one of them's differently. Uh, Every one of them's different. Every guy handles them differently. So, I don't know, but the fact that they didn't have to take him to the hospital, great sign, right? That being said, the game was essentially over for me when he went down. It was. And even when he was in, he was he was sporadic again, Ted. And I, I don't know if, and I know that uh, Robert Griffin III talked about some of you know, the technique stuff that was a little off for him. And maybe that's why the ball was sailing on him. He talked about it on the TV copy, 
But I mean, it's he's just missing some throws that he's got to hit, right? When you're playing, because and we've talked about OU not being way more talented than some of these other teams in the Big 12. Like he has to be dialed in. He 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 can't be good anymore with the way that the defense is playing. He has to be spectacular. And maybe that's not fair, but it's just the way it is, man. And with the way that that game started defensively for the Sooners, like he needed to be great and he just wasn't. Like he, he misses Braden Willis in the flat on, on the drive where they turn it over on downs. He misses Mims on the deep ball where it just, you got to connect on that throw with, with the way that that game is going, right? I mean, he throws one, sails it over Farouk's head, and right in this level's route, right in behind Theo Weiss runs an awesome route and is wide open for possibly a, you know, if he's able to make one guy miss, a 55-yard touchdown. And that's where it's designed to go. That's where the ball is designed to go. So that's where I it just, it hasn't been as sharp as it needs to be. And there are also some things that, you know, he did really well. Like the long ball to Braden Willis is beautiful. That beautiful yep. throw. It's a beautiful throw, right? He yeah. makes the one, some unbelievable throws. Yeah, it's and that's what makes it. throws that are frustrating. Yeah, that's what makes it so confusing, right? It's like there's some, and you're just like, my goodness, what a throw. And then there's layups he just misses. It's strange. And, no, you also, guys have to help him out. Like, Jaden Gibson, you cannot drop that ball on third down early in the game. Like, you got to extend that drive. You got to go get points. So, you know, when he played, I, I thought that, you know, it was just too up and down. Man, and once once he went out and Davis Bevel came in, I mean, the, you talk about a guy not looking comfortable. Uh, looked like the game was moving at a million miles an hour for Davis Bevel, uh, and and that's a tough spot, right? You see, you see a guy take a hit like that, you know that causes an emotional response for you, and then you're thrown into a game that's going the way that that one was going. Not an easy spot for Davis Bevel, and I'm not doubting his preparation or anything like that. Just got to handle the moment better, right? And he there's two two responses typically whenever that occurs. The first response is hell yes, let's go do this. Watch what I'm about to do, and then there's the oh my god, uh, I what I'm out there, I'm gonna have to play the rest of the game, and it kind of felt like the latter. Yeah. Yeah, I, do I, I like say, what Libby did to try to get him in rhythm. He tried yeah. to give him some easy throws, um, tried to call his number in, in the running game just to calm him down and get him into the flow of the game, and it just it never really took off. Yeah, I, I thought Lebby called a good game. I did. Like, there were, just like the Kansas State game, man, they left points out there on the field. Now, the defense wasn't going to stop TCU, <laughs> so I, I don't know really how big of a deal it was, but. There is one thing I want to say about the Dylan Gabriel hit. Clearly awful. Don't know how many times I need to say it, but awful. But I, I have seen, and I've been tagged in a bunch of things, like, and most of them were about the O-line, and I get it with the, you know, the O-line protecting the quarterback and all that stuff, but, like, there, there's a lot of people that seem to want it, like, the O-line to go fight Jamoy Hodge. 
Like, just go swing on him. And I get that, right? Because your starting quarterback just got knocked unconscious off what I thought was a dirty hit. But what do you want him to do? Just go start swinging on the guy and get ejected? Like, all of them? Like, what do you want the guys to do? And the the thing about the targeting rules, when that guy gets ejected, like, the way you get back at that guy is in between the whistles, right? You go knock the shit out of him. You go make his life miserable, but you can't do that when the guy gets ejected. So what do you want them to do? Go get ejected from the game? What good does that do the football team? And that's why it's a terrible spot, right? You lose your quarterback. You can't do anything about it. It's not like you can just say, hey, Mr. Referee, we would like to challenge him to a duel here at the 50. Like, you just can't do it. So all these people are like, I can't believe the O-line didn't do anything. What do you want them to do? Get ejected and hurt the football team even more. Is that what especially you want? If, yeah, especially at that point. Uh, I, it reminds me, reminds me of a funny story. Uh-oh. So when I played for the Lions, I can't even remember. We may have been playing the Bears at home. And this is when John Kitna was the quarterback of the Lions. And I'm on the sideline. It's like a third down. I'm on punt team. And it, they, they play the third down and Kitten scrambles and he takes off running. And he slides. And when he slides, he gets, I mean, it's like the same exact play. And I don't even remember who it was. But like, and there was like this just like, you know, how the crowd would react at home to a hit like that and, like, the sideline and the players. And, like, Dom uh, Riola was out there, and he comes flying downfield. And, like, my initial reaction was, like, oh, hell no. So I, like, (laughs) I run onto the field, and I'm, like, maybe out to the numbers or a little bit more before it finally hits me, like, Dude, that's a hundred thousand dollar fine. You better just stop. So I like stop and then backpedal. <laughs> and I was I was afraid that even going on the field as far as I did, that I was gonna get a fine that was gonna be in the mail on on Tuesday. But it was just funny because like that's your initial reaction, right? Is to go fight, but then it's like, you know, you gotta gather yourself and play the rest of the football game. You get tossed. Like in, in college, you're not gonna get the the massive fine like you would in the NFL, but you know, you have to contain yourself emotionally in some moments like that. And you're right. Like you get it done later. You don't get it done out there after the whistle and get tossed out of the game. Yeah. It's just there. It's not a good spot to be in. It's like you, you really are. You can't do anything. Yeah. Because the you guy's not playing anymore. With, like they'll let you get away with more after something like that than they typically would without flagging you, but you still, you can't, I mean, it's just, it ends up not being worth it and you don't accomplish anything. He's getting tossed anyways. Like, I know, know there's some like mindset stuff there, but like show how angry you are by going and, and playing good on offense and turning the game around. Yeah, no, I hear you, but I just, just thought we should touch on that. Okay. Running backs wise. No Marcus Major in this game. Eric Gray leaves the game. 
with the knee injury, or maybe it was like a hamstring injury where it kind of attaches back there in the back of your knee. I'm not sure, but hopefully that was just them being overly cautious, um, knowing that they did not have a good opportunity to win that game. But once again, I thought Eric Grave was good. I mean, he continues to he runs hard, runs with physicality, you know, didn't have any home run runs, but thought TCU, I mean, their whole defense, it's designed to make you snap it again, right? And the Sooners weren't able to hit him with big chunk runs, weren't able to hit him over the top with passes. So um, TCU accomplished the task. And then Javante Barnes, maybe if you're looking for a lone bright spot of the football game, you know, 18 carries for 100 yards, a couple touchdowns. Now, early when he got in, I uh, thought he was a little too antsy, mm-hmm. right? A, a little, you know, he was just like the patience wasn't there, but thought he ended up settling into the football game nicely, uh, developed a little more of that patience, let the blocking schemes develop in front of him, and then hit the hole at a million miles miles an hour. Had some nice runs, man. Um, there, there's no doubt that guy's got some explosiveness. I thought he did too. I agree. You know, early he did what every freshman running back wants to do. If it's, if it looks like it's not there, you want to bounce it and try and get to the edge, right? Try to get to the outside. And in college football, you just can't do that. Everyone's fast enough. And it just, you flatten out the plane. You end up making it easy on the defense. He tried that a couple of times, but after that, you're right. I thought the patience was way better. I thought he ran physical, had good leg turn. Still runs a little high, and he got tattooed a couple of times. But even on showed, the touchdown, <laughs> yeah, he showed that he can hang on to the football. Which you know, that's one of the hardest transitions for running backs is stop trying to bounce it outside, and you got to hang on to the football because they are laying the wood out there, stripping at it, punching at it, you know, trying to put their helmet on the ball. And I thought he did a good job with that. No, I'm with you. Okay, wide receivers. Uh, Marvin Mims, only four for 41. Clearly a couple near misses there. Um, man, it it continues to be a little confusing that he doesn't have bigger stat lines. I, I don't think four for 41 is reflective at all of the level that he's playing at right now. The speed, the explosiveness, like he's playing really good football, but for whatever reason, He's just not like there's just these near misses with him and Dylan Gabriel and man, it's just, they got, they got to make those plays. They got to make those plays when he's got a step or two steps, you know, like he's been getting, man, it's, and and you could see a little frustration from Marvin on a couple of those. And it's just, man, it feels like he should be, he should be racking up more catches and more yards, man. Well, I, here's I think the real problem in that is Lebby's in a tough spot. When this offense is humming the way it's supposed to, you run the football and you turn their lights out with the deep ball, right? But we don't have any margin for error right now. And while the deep stuff is open to Mims, Like, you're just not going to hit those at a super high percentage, right? You're not. I mean, that's the nature of it. But we we do not run the football good enough 
to get off schedule. So Lebby's in a tough spot. Like, do I continue to try and move the chains? And if I do that, it's hard to take these deep shots to Mims because I just can't trust that we're going to get, you know, on second and 10, I can't trust that we're going to get the seven yard carry that we need. Right. And, you know, kind of along those lines, there was, there was some good stuff in the running game. I mean, I mean, there was, I, I thought some of the GTs well, right out of the gate, like the first play or second play of the game that, that, that countered Eric Gray. Yeah. Some of the GT counter stuff was really, really good. Um, I, I thought that the best running play they've got right now is, is that concept to where they're running to the open side, play side guard, G pulls kicks out. And then they take that backside tight in from that tight wing position, bring them all the way around. It, I mean, they gashed them on that. I mean, they should have run it more. Honestly, it was, it, it was really, really effective. And that's a play he ran a lot at Ole Miss. And it was, looked good, man. But, and they created some really nice running lanes with those two concepts. I am beginning, and, and this is a pattern, I am beginning to question why they are doing some of the things they're doing in their outside zone schemes. They are pushing, they're pushing a lot of things like way front side with the way, with the way that they're targeting some stuff. And I, I don't know if they're spotting it, meaning like, hey, there's gonna be a guy that shows up, block that guy when he shows up, which is which is not an uncommon thing to do, but there's so much indecision in where they're working to on some of the in like they're pushing it so far front front side. And I know I'm tough on Andrew Rain. They're putting him in an impossible position. I mean, he's going to a backer that's front side B gap. It makes no sense to me. I don't know why they're making it that difficult and they're not blocking it. Whatever they're trying to accomplish with that, it ain't working. It's not. So I don't know. I would love for someone to explain it to me because it just does not make sense to me. Like it, you're making the angles really, really difficult on the offensive line. I mean, nearly impossible for the center and the backside guard to push all the way, all the way to that guy. I, I don't know if they think it's all going to cut back, but it's just, it ain't it, man. I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like a- all, it's all super horizontal and just like running out to st- Base. Like there's no on the front side, there's no like dent. There's there's no it's because you're working so laterally, there's no like displacement of the defensive lineman. And it just all strings out. I mean, it's just it's bad outside zone, is what it is. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, I mean just with the way that with what I believe in when it comes to running outside zone effectively. And it's the same thing, like they're doing, it's their outside zone split, outside zone, like their outside split zone game. They're, it's the same thing when they're running outside zone where Braden Willis is like that Y insert on the backside where he's sifting through all that. And it's just, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'll, I'll be, I don't like it. And the it hasn't way, been productive. Yeah. The only way I've ever seen a, a center try to get to a B, B gap frontside backers going behind. 
And you usually have to have like an incredibly athletic center for that. Jason like, Kelsey. Or like, that's what they, how they used to do it with Riola in Detroit. Like he would, he'd go behind the front side guard and try and loop around and, and make it that way. But that does not seem to be our team right now. That type of. It, they like, are doing are, what I like zones, to call sledding yeah. uphill. <laughs> yeah. It, it's I, I don't understand. And, but some of the stuff that, that G scheme with the backside tied in coming all the way around. It's really good, man. It's really good. The counter stuff looked good, but the zone stuff is just, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. But a few more thoughts, wide receivers, uh, Jalil Farouk, not much of an impact on the game. Really? I mean, a couple catches, uh, got him the ball as a runner a couple times. Uh, Theo Weiss, just glad he's all right. A little hyperextension of the knee on that one awkward landing. Uh, football didn't come his way, right? He was open some. Ball just didn't find him. Tight ends-wise, Braden Willis, I continue to think he's fantastic. The The 78-yarder was, was an awesome catch and run by him and showed some speed on that. I, that was, that, that was impressive. Now I wish he would have scored. I'm sure he wishes he would have scored too, but slowly ran out of gas there at the end. Yeah. But he continued. I mean, he continues to play with great effort. So as far as the skill positions, man, I, I mean, it's not, it, it's really hard to look at it and go, okay, what's, what's the big issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, unfortunately the nature of the position at wide receiver is you're the, you're the last part of the formula and a lot has to go right before the ball ever gets to you. And for whatever reason, we're having, we're having breakdowns before those opportunities are there. I still believe that we've got a really good skill group when healthy, right? When, if we've got all those guys healthy and ready to go, I think it's a good skill group. Yeah. Um, O-line wise, start with Anton Harrison, got hurt, hurt his hip. Um, and honestly, I gained more respect for him. Played hurt and played well. Displayed good toughness. Uh, could have checked himself out the way that that game was going and didn't. That's good shit, man. Yep. And he, you know, he, he showed me something and, He's the best offensive lineman this team has got. But so that was, I liked seeing that. I, I liked seeing him play through pain for his football team. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. Uh, McCabe Matoyer, he got rolled up late. So we got a hit for Harrison. Matoyer got rolled up late. It's kind of hobbling around. It's kind of the same stuff for him. He was a little better in pass protection in this game, but just not. There's just not a lot of pop in the run game. Just not a lot of pop. It's just, just what he is. Um, Rame hyperextended his knee in this game. Uh, was able to kind of play through that late in the football game. He did not handle the true freshman nose tackle the way that I was hoping he would. But thought he played hard. He got pulled to the ground a couple times. But he battled. Um, Chris Murray, no penalties. <laughs> no penalties for my man Chris Murray. Good stuff. I, I thought he played with really good physicality. Like the physicality that TCU's defensive linemen were playing with, 
that linebacking core was playing with, like, I thought Chris Murray matched it. Yeah. And he's become a really good puller. Whether it's the front side on that G scheme or coming around on the counter stuff, like, he's he's really settled into that role nicely. I think that's his strength. Wanya Morris hurt the shoulder. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, he did some nice things up to that point before he went out of the game with that injury. Uh, watching him in 98 go at it was a lot of fun for me. That's, you know, those are two guys that if all things go right, you know, should both be playing on Sundays. As far as the shoulder, really hope it's not something that's going to keep him out for an extended period of time. But when a guy's on the sideline with the sling on, it's typically how it goes. But I did think Tyler Guide came in. He also, he was hobbling around late. Uh, hopefully it was just, I, I think it was just him cramping. It's kind of how it looked to me, but Guyton came in, did some good things, man. Um, I'm really not worried if, if Wanye's hurt and out for a long time, I'm really not worried about Guyton stepping in. What I do get worried about is the depth or lack thereof. And at the tackle position. I thought he looked good. I, I mean, to come in and I know that, you know, TCU didn't have their starting defense in, but to come in, to have no mental errors. Um, I thought he played with good physicality and held up well. Like, I mean, he's one of those guys that he's got to, you know, and they'll have to make a decision with what they want to do with him from a red shirt perspective and all that with the four game rule. But I don't think he's already played in four, but he, I mean, he looked, looked good. Thought he looked fine, which is, I mean, positivity, right? Yep. Um, you got anything? Offense versus TCU defense. Uh, TCU defense, man. More physical. Just more physical at the point of attack, at the defensive line and at the linebacker level. I mean, they were coming downhill at linebacker, smacking guys. Those defensive linemen, they didn't get washed. They took on double teams. They stood firm. Mm -hmm. Just like three concrete pillars in there. Restricted space. Things didn't expand. Playing a 3-3-5. Playing the same defense. So, now, not the exact same, but same structure. So, it um, it was not the performance... OU's offense needed in that football game, right? And I know that, you know, the expectations really drop when Dylan Gabriel goes out, but when your defense is struggling that way, you got to, you got to put up points. You can't have empty drives when, when the other group's struggling that way. And they just too many missed opportunities and TCU's defense was the more physical group. So not much more to it than that. Yep. And we didn't start well. We didn't execute well when we were at our healthiest. Right. So as guys started to drop as the day went on, it just, you know, it turned into one of those days where not a lot's going to happen as you as you lose all of your starters throughout the day. And I, I don't know what. Like if I had to guess right now on Dylan Gabriel, not knowing, right, if he was out on the field, 
I would guess that he doesn't play. But if he was just laying, if they just kept him down to be cautious, then, you know, that's a different story. But as of right now, I would, I would expect, and I have no information, none at all. I would just say that I, my initial reaction is that he will not play. I, I do. I agree. Uh, I do want to give credit to OU's training staff. It was an incredibly busy day for them. Two very scary situations, and I thought that they were awesome. I thought they they handled it beautifully, kept everyone calm, like the whole thing. Um, that's not an easy job, especially um, you know with the Harmon situation, with with the situation there with Dylan Gabriel, and I thought that they handled it. You know that was that was first class, man. That was good stuff. Busy day in a busy training room this morning. Correct. Okay, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys your number one takeaway from OU's loss to TCU. This first one comes from Spencer Bell Castro, who says the defensive line can't generate any pressure without added rushers. Clean pockets for days the last two weeks when rushing three and four guys. Defensive back still not comfortable playing when the ball is in the air. Deadly combination. Yeah, I agree with that. I would, I would take it a step further though, and say that most of that is created by the lack of uh, being able to stop the run game. You can't make them predictable, so you're always kind of scrambling. You're a step behind if if you're allowing chunks in the running game to happen like they're passing for the most part the last couple of weeks the pass is just like a almost like a gotcha type of play because they're having so much success in the running game like when they decide to pass it's usually not just your traditional drop back you know they're able to to create some some easy opportunities for themselves because we're so bad against the run and we can't can't put them in predictable spots yeah no, I'm with you. All right, this other one comes from Justin Ratcliffe, who asks, why do we continue with the three-man front? Do we not have the personnel for four down? We ran four down almost the entire game against Kansas State and got absolutely torched. This, this is something I think people may not realize. There's, there's a difference between three down and then four down with an odd alignment, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you can be, have four defensive linemen on the field like they did against Kansas State, but still be in an odd structured defense. So that's different. Like you can, you can have those four guys and be in four defensive linemen, but it looks like a three down lineman structure. But there's a guy on the edge. He's a defensive lineman. Did I explain that properly? Yeah. It's more about, like, if they're in gaps, it's usually a four-man structure. If they're more head up, it's usually a three-man structure. So the way that you talk about it from an offensive perspective is, you know, you get up to line, you say odd or even, right? Is it odd? Do I have a guy head up on me if I'm the center, or do I have a guy in gaps on each side of me? Like, it's pretty, pretty simple. But nothing appears to be working. I don't know if that's going to make him feel any better, but no, I, I go back to what I said 
uh, with the conversation about Ted Roof, right? The call is the least of our worries right now. We're not executing properly with the right technique, with the right fundamentals, with the right knowledge, knowledge base knowledge level of how to execute uh, whatever it is that we're in. Call doesn't matter. And then this last one comes from Ross Martin. And I've seen, we got quite a few of these, Ted. He says his biggest takeaway that this team will actually struggle to be bowl eligible. Maybe. I don't know. Damn it. Well, we haven't even played the best teams in the conference yet. I guess Kansas State can look like it at times. Tulane team is actually pretty daggum good. Watch them on Friday night. Um, I don't know. Yet to be determined. Yet to be determined. I think we could easily be a extremely competitive team for the rest of the year in this conference. Um, Dial in. Like I I don't think we're far off from being – way better defensively than what we've been the last two weeks. I don't think a whole heck of a lot has to happen for that to, to take place. And if that occurs and we get healthy and get in rhythm offensively, then I don't see why there's, there's a reason that we can't uh, go in the big 12 this year. But if a lot of these injuries end up to be multi-game type of injuries and we don't do the right things defensively to start playing better, then I I don't know what all's in play on the on the negative side of things. It's just such a good episode to get your birthday shout out in. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, this is the one you want to be in. Happy sixth birthday to Reagan Lynn Newman. Happy 14th birthday to Jay Wassamiller. Wassamiller, Wastemiller. I don't Waste know. Miller. Jay Wastemiller. Wastemiller, Wassamiller. Yeah. One of those has to be right, Jay. Happy 15th birthday to Sophie Spray. Happy belated 15th birthday to Ava Westerhide. Happy 22nd birthday to Lauren Myers. Happy 24th birthday to Ruben Edwards. Happy belated 31st birthday to Taylor Prather. Happy 40th birthday to Pete Prevost. Happy 50th birthday. Oh, here we go. Here it is again. Craig Wastemiller. Wassamiller. It's one <laughs> happy, or the other, Craig. Happy 52nd birthday to Heart Mama Corlette. Happy birthday to OU Professor Paul Sims. I had Paul Sims. Happy birthday, Paul. And congrats to Jacob and Allison Cup on the birthday. Of- on the birth. Damn it, typo, Gabe. Come on, be better. <laughs> On the birth of Callan, Kalen Lynn Cup. You you covered all the uh, all the options there. Well, I thought it was Callan, but then I saw Lynn as a girl that's probably Kalen. So I don't know. We're sorry, Cup family. We tried. <laughs> all right, well, let's get to uh, some of the recaps of the other big games of Week Five of college football. But first. The only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. 
whatever your road trip needs are, loves has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamori. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery, soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and is a proud member of the OSSAA. There are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available week five. College football had some good ones, man. Let's start with number seven, Kentucky. They went to number 14, Ole Miss, and Ole Miss somehow got the win, 22-19. And dodging bullets late. Dodging bullets late. Got to give Ole Miss some credit. I, I thought, you know, Jackson Dart was okay in this game, did some good things with his feet, but that running back, the freshman Judkins, that young man had himself a day. He's fun to watch. Uh, thought Ole Miss's defense did a nice job of slowing down. Chris Rodriguez had Will Levis uncomfortable. Did you see his finger? Oh, not throwing hand, but gross. I love the reaction. He's like, welcome. Welcome to the club. Will Levis. Look, look. Oh my God. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm sure YouTube uh, viewers are going to like looking at my disgusting finger right there. Oh, that's awesome. But he, he was, I mean, Will Levis was uncomfortable most of the day. Um, I thought Ole Miss's defense won him the game, man. But really, <laughs> the story of the game, I mean, Kentucky made just a ridiculous amount of mistakes. Missed a field goal, had a PAT blocked, had a bad snap on another PAT, which obviously they didn't convert. Uh, Will Levis took a safety. Uh, Barryon Brown, who, by the way, that guy can fly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was awesome. But he's returning a kickoff, back for a touchdown, and his own guy tripped him from behind. Like, clips his heel, he falls. And they end up turning it over on downs to get no points on that drive. None. When it was, it was going to be a kickoff return for a touchdown. What else happened? Uh, Will Levis fumbled trying to truck stick a dude <laughs> with like three minutes to go in the game. And then he, they're first in goal to try to go win the game and held on to the ball for quite some time. Gets the ball stripped out of his hand. And yeah. And maybe the worst part about that, 
before that play, they actually scored a touchdown. It got called back for illegal motion. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a ridiculous comedy of errors for the Kentucky Wildcats. That is called beating yourself. And those are the games that absolutely make you sick to your stomach whenever you have all those opportunities. And, you know, they're uncharacteristic of a Kentucky team that Mark Stoops has built there. They, they, you know, that's how they've gotten to where they are is by playing mistake-free football. Yeah, I just – I couldn't believe everything they did now. And Lane Kiffin talked about it after the game. He said he, said he told his defense they weren't very good at halftime. <laughs> and then when, when they absolutely had to get stops and had to change the football game late, you forced two turnovers. That is – that's big time for that group. And really, I guess the only thing – Left to discuss about that game is what you think of the old Miss helmets. Thumbs up, thumbs down. They called them like camo. It was like white with their blue, which those baby blue jerseys, whatever color blue that is, those are awesome. Those are awesome. But uh, the helmet, I liked the helmet. I thought it was a good look. I guess I didn't really even think about it all that much. I guess I give it decent marks. Okay. Well, they won. So that, that usually that makes, makes it, it good. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next game. Number two, Alabama went to number 20, Arkansas. And well, Bama's still good. 49, 26. And Bryce Young left the game, right? That was the big story, right? Bryce Young leaves the game with a shoulder injury. It took I, a second, but uh, his backup, who, where did he come from? I, I, for one. I'm not shocked that Alabama has a good backup quarterback. <laughs> right. Jaden Milrow, that dude can go. <laughs> My he goodness. Absolutely go. But, I mean, Alabama jumped all over Arkansas in this game. Uh, Bama's defense early, completely controlling the game. They, they jump out to a 28-0 lead on Arkansas in Fayetteville. And I was just like, my goodness, okay. And, you know, Jaden Milrow steps in, did a really good job at quarterback for Bama. I think what Bryce Young only had two, maybe three touchdown drives. The rest of it was Milrow. Mm -hmm. And now they gave him some easy throws. He, he just got it to those wide receivers. And my God, <laughs> I, I think, I think maybe we got a little too carried away early in the season with the, oh, they just don't have the playmakers they once had at wide receiver. Okay. Go watch that game and watch those guys after the catch. Tell me they ain't got playmakers. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, the, the Texas game, the Alabama, Texas game has had way too big of an impact on by of what people thought of Texas and what people thought of Alabama on both sides of it. You know, I yeah, think yeah. Texas got, got you know way too much credit for how good they were going to be off of that and Alabama got knocked too much for like what their potential is this season yeah and even though Alabama just came out and punched Arkansas right in the face things did get a little interesting in that game right they recover <laughs> the surprise onside you know but I thought Pittman made a mistake kicking the field goal there, right? You recover the surprise onside. You got all that momentum. I think it was about fourth and goal from the like three and a half or four. And he kicked the field goal. Like it, 
and, and maybe you didn't want to lose the momentum from that, but I don't know, man. Yeah, I I felt like that was a situation you gotta you gotta put it in KJ Jefferson's hands. Like you're playing Bama, like and they've they field they're really not good. gonna get it done. Yeah, yeah, field goals. Uh, so I disagreed with that decision, but <laughs> I say that then Bama comes out. Did you see that punt snap? It like hits. You know how you have the couple guys back in yeah. college, right? It like hits one of the guys. And just rolls to the three yard line, and the punters just got to jump on it. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was one of those. Where I was like, wait, I had to watch it like four times. I was like, what just happened? But so that happens. Arkansas got the ball at like the three, they punch it in, and all of a sudden it was like 28 23. And it looked like Bama was just in complete meltdown mode, but Bama did what they do, man. All of that happens. Arkansas's got all the momentum. And Bama's offense goes, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. When I saw that first long run by Milrow, I was like, whoa. That was – that's something that you don't see very often from a quarterback. That was incredible. Yeah, so that was – you know, that was one of those three drives after the game had really gotten sideways for him. I mean, Milrow takes off, and then Jameer Gibbs takes off for 70-plus, and it was just like, okay, this is over. But that was, I mean, that's a nice win for Alabama to come come to Fayetteville, play the way that they did, to lose Bryce Young, to have Milrow handle the moment the way that he did. The only, the only other thing about this game, it was a large spread, right? Well, it's 17, 17 and, and a half. half. Yeah. And there's a play late in the game. Arkansas is driving to go cover. Right, they obviously had no chance of winning the football game. Driving to go cover, KJ Jefferson throws it to Jaden Hazelwood, and Jaden Hazelwood's name was trending on Twitter because so many gamblers were mad. Like he just, and you and I watched it. We we're like, he just like, I don't know if he thought he already had the first down or what. But he may not have known it was fourth down. Like that happens more than you would think out on a football field. That both guys offensively and defensively just don't know what down it is. And yeah, for whatever reason, he just kind of sit there like stutters, just gets <laughs> tackled short of the mark and they end up not covering. It was, uh, it was kind of a hilarious, hilarious sequence. If you didn't have money on the game, like I didn't. That's why it is. It, it, that's why it's just like it's an impossible thing to predict is what's going to happen. Uh, you just never know. Yeah. Okay. Last game. It's a nice win for Oklahoma State, man. Really is. That's impressive. Went to Waco and won thirty six to twenty five. And I, I'll say this: really impressive by Oklahoma State. Baylor deserved to lose this game. The moment they came out in all yellow uniforms or gold, whatever they want to call it, it's hideous. It's hideous. You have this national, you know, national game on Fox, huge game, top 25 matchup, and you go all yellow. I mean, seriously, the mustard man look, Curious George. They look terrible, and uh, their typical uniforms look awesome. That's green is awesome. That's the worst one they they go with, and they do it. I don't know what the reasoning is, but they do it every year, and it's just – 
it's a shock to the retina for uh, for all the players on the field. It's like, what the, what's happening? You want to be less visible, not more visible, I guess. It's uh, it's a gross look, but really nice win for the Cowboys. Uh, I thought the drive before halftime for them was huge, right? To take that sixteen to three lead into the locker room, then right because you go you put that drive together halftime, and then you return the second half kickoff. Jaden Nix just Jaden Nixon just takes off. And all of a sudden, hey man, it's twenty three to three, Oklahoma State, and that's just not a, that's not a situation that that Baylor offense really is built for, right? To have to come from behind, but things did get a little interesting, right? Sanders throws the pick, uh, Baylor goes and scores. I, the one thing about this game, I was impressed. I was impressed by each team's ability to answer in this game, like. It felt like Oklahoma State would get some breathing room. Baylor would answer, make some plays, cut the margin. Then Oklahoma State would answer that. Then Baylor would answer. It was kind of this fun back and forth between the two teams, especially in that third quarter. That third quarter was fun, man. But I, it looked like Baylor had some momentum in the fourth. That Gavin Holmes drop, I thought that the one that turned into the interception there, I thought that was a huge play in the game. Yeah, you know, what I find interesting is I talk about special teams all the time, and it sounds like such a, like, coach-speak thing to say, right, that that special teams is is the deciding factor and you got to be really good. And, you know, if, if you can take advantage of, of, of winning the special teams, like you, that can win you close football games. It just sounds like this absurd thing that no one wants to talk about when almost every game that we talk about that is tight, that is close between whether it's between uh, two ranked teams or not, like it almost always comes back to special teams, either making mistakes or being able to capitalize whenever you've got your units out there, your return units out there on the field. It, Special teams continues to be so like massively overlooked by way too many football teams, in my opinion. Yeah. And Oklahoma State, not only they had the Nixon touchdown return, but Presley had a huge return Mm -hmm. in the game as well. I thought uh, you're right, man. Those kickoff returns made a huge difference for them. Also thought Oklahoma State's defense did a really nice job on third down and Spencer Sanders was good other than the one pick, right? He probably predetermines he's throwing that out. I mean, he was good, man. Uh, solid, very solid. Went, did some damage with his legs. I mean, he was, he was really good. Jumping out to that lead was the best thing. That's the best formula for Spencer Sanders having a really good game. Yeah. You know, and if they could play from the front. He, he, they can lean on him and he does some really good stuff. And what well, Bryson Green had the one early, and then Braden Johnson had the one, I think, put him about the one late. Had some guys go up and make plays for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, go up, just climb the ladder, Mawson guys. It was uh, a couple of really, really nice plays from those guys. But yeah, Oklahoma State, best team in the Big 12. What do you think? Well, with what that's we just saw from win. TCU. That's the best win, right? Yeah, it's the best conference win for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, now that you would have said Kansas State beating OU and Norman, 
was the best, but now right. with what just happened to OU in Fort Worth, you probably you probably put Oklahoma State going to Waco and winning that game, huh? Yeah, probably. It as of right now, it looks like a big, you know, like you're going to be shuffling the deck the entire year about, you know, Oklahoma State beats Baylor, Baylor beats Iowa State, Kansas State beats Oklahoma State. Kansas State beats Oklahoma. Oh, you know, it's just going to be like this bad mix, which is frustrating. I, I think it's awesome. It makes for a great conference. But it's one of the things I hate about college football is whenever that occurs, instead of the narrative nationally being that the Big 12 is a really good conference, it turns into the conference sucks. No one's any good. Yeah, that's why I'm excited about college football playoff expansion. Because mm -hmm. right now, because we all talk about parity, right? Like we want parity. We want these teams to be closer. We want more good games, right? That's what we all want. Or at least that's what a lot of people say they want. This league's actually going to have parity. There's going to be a ton of one score games. Every team feels like they can beat every team and you get punished for it in the current yep. system. That's right. Where in the next system, you'll at least have that automatic qualifier and hopefully they adjust the way, um, kind of some of those things are perceived by the committee, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, and I said this to some of the OU players on, on Saturday, like there's going to be a two loss team play for the big 12 title. I, I truly at believe least. that. Yeah, at and least. that's what like, yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's multiple two loss teams playing for the big 12 title. So I know OU's got a lot to fix before we even discussed that, but it's just kind of how I see the conference this year. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first it's football time in Oklahoma people. And there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than clubby seltzers. Clubby seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. Tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the tailgate either. Perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. You haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet. Go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. They got some new flavors. They got a new can. If you want to find a place near you that has Clubbies, visit ClubbySeltzers.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I had to go with Zach Wilson. First game back after the injury, and... They go get a really nice road win in Pittsburgh. Uh, he played pretty well, had a couple of interceptions, but threw for 250, threw for a touchdown, 
uh, had some really good drives in the second half. They came from behind, come from behind victory, scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to get the win over Pittsburgh. Thought that was pretty impressive. They were in need of a win. I that that thing was uh, in jeopardy of falling apart on them. They've had some injuries, had some tough things go down. Uh, it was good to see him get back confident. He's a confident player and get that tough road win. Yeah, I, I'll say this. Credit to Zach Wilson. Uh, you, you're right. Third and fourth quarter. You know there there was a there was a rough stretch in that game, right? But for him, but third and fourth quarter, when they needed plays, he made them. And it really helps when Kenny Pickett keeps throwing it to your defense. <laughs> I felt uh, so bad for him. Like it, it started so well. He had the rushing touchdowns, but then it was like, oh yeah, he's a rookie quarterback. He's going to throw it to the other team a lot. <laughs> yeah. Four turnovers, uh, four interceptions for Pittsburgh quarterbacks. Not a great day. You think Trubisky is like, See, I'm not that bad, you know, because <laughs> he got pulled. They put picket in crowds going crazy there at what is it now? Acrisure. It's not I, necessarily picking a quarterback off of who's better. It's picking a quarterback over who's not the worst. Like, I, I don't know. Like, which, which is not where you want to be as no. an organization. But I, I agreed with the decision and. You know, when, when you look at the Steelers this year, that drops them to one and three, just play picket, let them get the experience, let them get beat up. Why not? It, I, I feel like that's what they're going to do moving forward. Right. I'm trying to remember the, what was that quote from, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank off of the head coach for the Steelers? Tomlin. What was his quote? I think it was on Rudolph about why they were going with someone else because, he doesn't absolutely kill us or something like that about Rudolph. You remember that? I, yeah, he also said some complimentary things. I think one of my favorite, it, it, just because I know some Steelers fans, they were really excited. I think Tomlin was like Mason Rudolph. He looks like a, he looked like a varsity QB in a JV game. And like, everyone was like, yes, yes. He's the deck. He's going to be the savior. And up, oh, not so, not so much. Oh, that's great. Good stuff. Yeah, but that was a nice win for the Jets. They needed it, man. There's no doubt. All right, who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I had to go with the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Blow a, what, 20-3 to three lead over Buffalo and, you know, have plenty of opportunities to win that game. And just could not get it done. They go for it on fourth down uh, late in the game, uh, inside the 10-yard line, get stopped. That was that was critical. Instead of taking the field goal, would have gave them a what a, a, a 23 to uh, – what was it at that point? would have been 23-20 lead at that point, yeah. And yeah. they decide to go for it, don't get it. Buffalo gets the ball. Uh, dude, Josh Allen, man – He's not perfect by any stretch, but that dude has a absolute cannon for an arm. And he makes some throws that are just incredible, which he hit digs right in the hands with the ball late. That would have been a touchdown. And it had so much juice on it that he couldn't pull it in. But that, that guy is, he's, he is really impressive. What do you, 
What do you think about Buffalo right now? Because I, I felt like, and I still feel like a lot of people think, you know, they're the best team in the AFC. Their inability to run the football is, I mean, can you win a title not being able to run the football? I guess like the Chiefs have done it, but but I, I never felt like the Chiefs run game was as, like just was as bad as what Buffalo's got going right now. Like Josh Allen's their biggest weapon running the football. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not what you want. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I like Singletary, I, but he's more of a, it feels like both of their guys are a little bit more like, like passing down backs than they are just true running backs. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's just like, that's the only, like the defense is good. Josh Allen, like Diggs, like the, the receiving core solid, like, but the, the running game is just, ugh. I think Von Miller had him a couple of sacks, didn't he? Just rack him up, Von. He definitely had one. I think he may have had multiple. They've got him down. They've only got them down at two sacks. He's got one, though. So, yeah. You're right. All right. Anything else from that game? Uh, Lamar no. Jackson, man. Yeah. Had a chance to go win it. Didn't. Yeah. Had a chance to win it. Couldn't get it done. Um, you know, I thought Buffalo did a good job. The real danger for Baltimore is what Lamar Jackson can do on those third downs when he pulls it down. It's it's just hard to know what coverage to play on the back end, and they did a good job late making some really nice tackles on him when he got out in the open field. Yeah, it's a nice win for Buffalo. Go on the road and win, and you'll take it no matter how you get it done. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full-service Financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to stag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, the Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, I thought about going with that chunky kicker from Missouri. <laughs> I mean, that guy was awesome. Now, listen, I know they ended up losing the game. It, you know, Georgia did what they needed to do late to get that one uh, to escape Columbia with the win. But Harrison Mevis, who checks in, I, I, I went to the roster to check. 5'11", 
254. I think wow. he's probably a little heavier than 254. I'm just going to say it, but he was money, man. Five of five field goals of 49, 41, 22, 52, and 56. Ted, we Dropping see a bombs. thick fella. Wow. That's like the height and weight of my brick mailbox, I think. <laughs> some so serious girth on Mevis. They could, uh, you know, it opens up some things that they could do in the fake field goal aspect, like using him as a lead blocker for the uh, for the holder on some stuff. That's funny. I I don't know if he's built for that wearing ninety two, but he 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 did his job at a very high level. That was that was good stuff. And that little strut he had to the sideline was probably my favorite moment in college football on Saturday. It was, I mean, it was tremendous, but. Also thought about going with DJ Uyunglele, man. Yeah. It's a big win for Clemson uh, over over North Carolina State, and DJ was awesome. He looked good, had some beautiful throws. He's shutting down the critics, um, and there were a lot of them, including myself, after the way the season started. He's bounced back. It's that one play, man, that one little play he made in that game where he had that little shovel pass when he was about to take that sack. Um, you know, he's, he's turned it around since then and looked pretty good. Yeah. 21 to 30 for 209 and a touchdown, no interceptions, uh, used his legs really well in this game, had two rushing touchdowns, big dude, but I mean, Clemson's defense made NC state one dimensional, uh, Devin Leary continues to be meh, but the, the Clemson Tigers. And now you look at the rest of the schedule teams in good shape, man. Yep. Teams in good shape. They've gone. They've basically gone through the hardest part of their schedule. They've come out undefeated. So, uh, the Clemson Tigers are. They're going to be in the old playoff picture. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll make it. Maybe they drop one along the way. But they're in very good shape, and their quarterback is is playing at a high level. But there's only one choice for winner of the weekend, and that's the Kansas Jayhawks. The five and zero Kansas Jayhawks. And really, they're my winner of the weekend because of the way that they won. Not just because they won, but the way that they won. Because Jalen Daniels and that offense that has been so special for them, they really couldn't get anything going against Iowa State's defense. Not much. It was Kansas's defense that won them this football game. I mean, biggest play of the game probably is the Kobe Bryant interception. Uh, that's a bad decision by Hunter Deckers, who seems to like making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. But that sets them up. They go up 14 to nothing there and never look back, man. And they sacked Hunter Deckers five times, pressured him a lot more, uh, completely shut down Iowa State's running game. And it was, I mean, Kansas did not score in the second half and they won the football game. It's it's crazy that uh, their offense has been leading the way, obviously, for the first four games. And in this one, for their defense to play the way that they did. And it's not that Iowa State is any type of, of great offense. They're not. But it just goes to show you that Kansas is – they're close to putting it all together – to have a full like it's not just going to be an offensive type of football team if they can put it together 
on both sides of the ball, they got a chance against anyone in this conference. Yeah, and, and it's kind of it's kind of what we've talked about with OU's offense and defense, right? With how much OU's defense is struggling right now, the offense has to lift them up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know complimentary football. Now, in a perfect world, you're playing great, both offensively and defensively. But I thought that it was it said a lot about Kansas, like that offense that had been the entire story, right? Every all the articles have been written about Jalen Daniels. Nothing good was said about the defense. When the offense needed them to step up, they did, and they got it done. I thought I thought that that told us a lot about that football team. Also, helps when the other kicker stinks. I mean, what three three missed field goals for Iowa State, uh, including one that would have tied the game with thirty seconds left. Just brutal. And you and I, we were talking about it in the car on the way home. Is like. There's no chance. This guy's going to hook it. He's going to hook it. And then, my goodness. Meow. Man, when you've, as a kicker, when you've missed two already and you're going out there for the third and it's either to win the game or to tie it or something like that, it's almost an inevitability that, because it just comes down to mindset and, and your mentality at that point. Like, you're trying to change things. There's no belief in and what you're doing, you're trying to overcompensate. And it just, it, it really is, is not a good position to be in. And they didn't want to be in that position, but credit Kansas's defense for continuing to make them snap it again. Like they were for, we were listening to the game and the entire second half felt like it was played on Kansas's into the field with Iowa state having the football with good field position and they just could not punch it in. They had to continue to settle for field goal opportunities. Yeah. That kicker, he's going to hear that dong in his twice, nightmares. Right? I think he hit it twice. So the first two did the third one just never, uh, never had a chance, but it's like there, there's like a microphone on the upright, like in, in, in the NBA, you know how, when someone hits the rim on a the jumper, rim mic. yeah, it's the sound that you can hear throughout the entire stadium, no matter what's going on in there. The, the, the dreaded dong. Yeah, it was, uh, that's, that's a brutal way to lose a football game, but one very cool thing, college game day, going to Lawrence for TCU versus Kansas. First time ever pretty. Unfortunately, one of the reasons they're going is because TCU beat OU the way that they did, but still very, very cool for Lance Leipold, those players, that fan base. That's, I'm sure that's going to be a scene in Lawrence. Confidence is a hell of a thing, right? When that, whenever a team starts to believe in themselves, believe in each other, it, there's, there's total buy-in. Everyone focuses intently on what their job is and, 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 you know, making sure they take care of their role. It's teams just, you, it, any team in college football can become really dangerous whenever they've got all those things on their side Yeah, and uh, a great quarterback to boot. Yeah, no doubt. All right. For my loser of the weekend, thought about going with Minnesota. I don't think we've talked about the Gophers at all this season, but it's been a lot of hype for them, you know, coming out of the West there in the big 10, they laid an absolute egg at home against Purdue lost 20 to 10. Really disappointing for P.J. Fleck. Uh, now their star running back, uh, the Ibrahim guy, he did not play in the game, and they couldn't run the football 
at all against the Boilermakers. So a disappointing loss for Minnesota. A lot of people high on them, man. Yeah, they've they've had some some good teams and injuries have you know, they just don't have the depth that they need, but it's still a good, dangerous football team. But this year has been a disappointment so far. Also thought about going with Ferrari. Yeah, Formula One, Ted, it's still going on. What do you think? You've been paying attention? Obviously not. I have not. Okay. Well, I watched a lot of it. Sergio Perez ends up winning the Singapore Grand Prix over Leclerc and signs. And kind of the salt in the wound for Ferrari. Perez gets the time penalty after the race. They still don't beat him. Uh, <laughs> it was only like five seconds, but I think Leclerc, Leclerc was like seven and a half seconds behind. So still lost. It's got to hurt. Where was Verstappen? Dead. He died. He died. No one told you? No. No, I'm just kidding. He, he did not die. He's very much alive. Well, I thought that's what it was going to take for him to not win a race. Well, his buddy, his Red Bull buddy, Sergio Perez, Checo, wins in Singapore, Ted. Maybe, good they, stuff. Left, maybe they left his, uh, his steering wheel uh, on Japanese language and he couldn't figure out the controls is, uh, is how they got him. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how all that works. But I also thought about going with Texas A&M as my loser. Like, OU fans are in bad shape right now. Texas A&M fans are right there with them. Um, turned it over four times. Got blasted by Mississippi State there in Starkville. They've got Jimbo for what nine more years, guaranteed. Yep, fast talker. Uh, which you know, hey, it's Your good. Offense Mi- still stinks. Yeah, misery loves company. So yeah, we're uh, as OU fans right now. We're rooting for all of our uh, all of the teams out there. We love to hate to do the same thing. Yeah. All right. But my loser of the weekend, the Chicago Bears, just because it was such a such a bizarre game between them and the Giants. Just really, really weird. Um the Giants just what they did to the Bears defense was so odd. Like it you just don't see it very often in the NFL. You don't see it often in football really anymore. I mean, both Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor both played quarterback. Yep. Saquon Barkley, they got into the wildcat a little bit, just doing some interesting stuff. But the Bears lose, and the Giants threw for 71 yards. <laughs> and I saw a lot of it on Red Zone. I was just like, are they ever going to throw them? And just, nope. And they just ran it right at them. 262 rushing yards for the Giants. Wow. Just like, and you, if you weren't watching the game, like it was just the, the game flow was so odd, but really the box score afterwards, you look at it and you're like, wait, is that like, can that happen in today's NFL 71 passing yards? Hey, it just goes to show that to me, the most important thing in football is still the running game. I, if you can't run it, you're in serious trouble. And if you can, and somebody, if you can't stop the run, I, it's going to be a brutal, brutal day for you. Yeah, before Danny Dimes rolled the ankle, man, he was running all over the place. I mean, he had a couple touchdown runs. He wasn't throwing it very well, but, hey, he was running all over the place. But, yeah, just Giants turned it over a couple times. Oh, did you see the muff punt for Chicago late? It's like, hey, you got an opportunity. Let's go tie the game. Here we go. 
punt it, muffed it, Giants get it, came out. It was just, it was a brute. It had to be a very, very bad day for Bears fans to watch that. Like, that could not have been fun. Yeah, there's nothing worse than, I. it's like the, the two extremes. The best football game you can ever play as a team is whenever they just can't stop you in the running game and the clock moves and you're finishing drives and you're punching it in the offensive line starts to get some attitude and confidence going. And on the flip side, there is nothing worse as a team or a fan base to just watch someone inch the ball down the field six yards at a time on you is just the worst. I also, I also wonder how bears fans are feeling about Justin Fields. Like some of these stat lines he's putting up now, 11 of 22, 174. It's just like he is, he's not exactly lighting it up. His last four games, 174 yards, 106 yards, 70 yards, 121 yards. Mm. So I'm not good. And the Bears fans are not easy on quarterbacks. They no. booed. What was his name? They booed him all the way to the Super Bowl. Rex Grossman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hated the guy all the way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and on that note, episode 254 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Wednesday, maybe. We'll figure that out. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Do your best to have a great week, people. Hope it's a good one. We'll all get through this together. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do we always do, Oklahoma? Take care of each other. Just one more time